Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps at and menu at roasthousepub.com or download the digital pour app for iPhone or Android to track what's on tap. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and in this week we have Kevin Blodger, co-founder and director of brewing operations of Union Craft Brewing. Hey, how are you? It's good to be here. Doing great. Thank you for coming out. Okay, no problem. So we did um, a union episode, but with Adam, and I've repeatedly been told that I needed to have you on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you and, had me. And this is the first time I've ever met you, but so far I already love you from the assortment of treats that you've <laughs> brought in for us. Um, the first one being the collaboration you did with Stillwater, which was called Dust Rings. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about that for a little bit first? We'll kick off there. Yeah, definitely. We were uh, thinking about Baltimore Beer Week and who we were going to collab with. Um, and Strumke is one of my favorite people in the, in the beer world. Um, and so I reached out to them and said, hey, you want to brew a beer together? And we kind of talked about what we wanted to do. And we ultimately came upon kind of a you know, kettle sour and then just dry hopping the heck out of it. Um, so we wrote a recipe, kind of sent it back and forth. Um, and uh, this is this is the result of it, uh, dustering. So we used... Uh, we, we in the kettle we use some heel melon I think I can't it's, everything's such a blur to me these days we haven't brewed so many beers you guys are just coming out with new stuff all the <laughs> yeah. time so heel melon in the kettle but we we dry hopped it with um, mosaic lupulin powder um, and Vic Secret hops and uh, so it's got this really kind of great pungent hop aroma that I think plays really well with the uh, sourness in the beer I, I'm I'm really digging this beer I'm happy it turned out so well now is can you get any hop variety as a lupulin powder, or is it just certain varieties? There's certain varieties right now. It's, it's kind of controlled by um, Yakima Chief Hop Union right now, and so they have their cryo hop division, and that's where these all these powders are coming from. So it's, it's kind of limited on two things. One, there's only a f- few hop varieties they're doing right now, and two, there's not that just that much available. You know, uh, it's been out now for a couple of years. People are starting to contract it, but if you don't have a contract, it's what's available on the spot market. And it's gotten tighter and tighter and tighter as more and more people are discovering how cool this stuff is. It's just flying off the shelf. So you're kind of limited right now. I think if they have like Mosaic, uh, Citra, Cascade. Um, there's, there's about maybe 10 varieties right now that are widely available in, in Lupulin powder. Uh, and when I say widely available, that, those are the ones you can choose from. But if you can get your hands on them, it's still kind of tough. Have you guys done much with Lupulin powder? We've used it two or three times now. Kind of, we're kind of tr- figuring it out. Um, how does it work in the kettle versus how does it work dry hop? Um, and so it's cool. It's something to play around with. Um, it's super expensive. So like you know, we pay. Right. Let's say we pay thirteen bucks a pound for Mosaic, and that might be even higher right now. Um, Lupulin powder for Mosaic is twenty nine dollars a pound. So it's so you have uh, to really want to use it. Yeah, you have to really want to use it for it to uh, to make sense to use it. So it's not something you can put in a regular beer or anything like that right now. But when we can play with it in one off, it's cool. So, all right, so let's circle back and let's just talk about you for a little bit. Because one thing I learned recently from listening to uh, Liz Murphy's Pintcast uh, or Naptown Pintcast is that you actually have some history within Frederick. Yeah, yeah, I used to. This is really where I learned to brew. Um, I brewed for a short time at the District Chop House in D.C. Um, and left there. I went and worked at a school for, I guess, about a year and a half, two years. And while I was at that school, in the back of my mind, everything that, you know, I wanted to brew. I wanted to get back into brewing. So one day, I remember I was at the school. I called up to Frederick to see if they were, they were hiring. And uh, they, a guy had just left, so the position had opened up. So I went up there and interviewed uh, two or th- two or three times, I think, to get the position. It was a really rigorous interview process. And uh, once I got the job, yeah, I came up here every day. I was here for about two years. It should have been probably a little more rigorous with their uh, financial planning and <laughs> well, business. <laughs> well, yeah, when I got there, they were already in kind That of, was on the down yeah, turn? Yeah, they were, they were in receivership already. Okay. Um, so kind of the oh, back... So that was quite a... It, uh, gamble to make when it really was because at the time the school that i was working at they wanted me to become a principal at the school and they were going to give me money to go back to school and i remember telling my girlfriend my my now wife uh don't tell my parents about this because i think i'm going <laughs> to go back to brewing um and so yeah we, it was a gamble and i wasn't i didn't really know how bad the shape they were in when i started that must have been there. a nice surprise it was it was it was interesting but it was cool because um 
they needed money, so they would brew beer for anybody. And so we got to brew all these different styles of beer. You could see all these different techniques, have all these different brewers come in. Um, and one thing I tell my guys now is that, like, when I was at Frederick, anytime any brewer would come in, I would hang out to hear the conversations between uh, Daniel, Daniel Mazeloff, who's a brewer now at Antietam, yeah, was the brewmaster there when I was there. He'll be coming on soon. Actually, we had talked about he he uh, was asking if he could come on, like, right after you oh, were yeah, on, yeah, yeah. but it was just been logistically hard to – do two in one day because he said he'd really like to see you. It's been forever. Yeah, it really has. Um, and so, and, and so Dan, when I worked, he was so great. You know, he was trained me really, really well. And that's kind of like how I learned to brew and learn technique and an appreciation for different kind of, kinds of beers and styles. And uh, we brewed everything that was there because they needed the money. So we even put, you know, caffeine in a light lager for somebody. And we would do, if you could pay us, we would, we would brew it, you know. Um, but at the same time, it had been built like the state-of-the-art brewery. So there was this great lab there. Um, we had this Crohn's bottling line that was, you know, a quarter of a million dollars probably at the time that they bought it. So there was all this state-of-the-art equipment there. We had a centrifuge way before people were centrifuging beer. We had a centrifuge there. Um, so I got to see all these different processes and all these different techniques and then take them further into my career with me. Um, so while it sucked that, like, you know, the, the motivational talks were, hey, your check's cleared this week. Um, I'm, I'm good right now. At the same time, it was uh, it, it was it was such a great experience, you know. Were you there until the very end? Or? I, I was there. Flying Dog came in, I think, in 2007, maybe. So, yeah. So they started in 2007, and I think yeah. they they completely moved their operation in 2008. So when I left, probably in January, February of 2006. But it was pretty much a done deal there. I remember our Christmas presents that year from the brewery was all flying dog, <laughs> like flying dog, dog, dog bull. It was all flying, flying yeah. dog gear. Um, so and I was leaving right around that time. That was a, kind of a weird time because all these people were coming through the brewery and you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, flying dog was actually kind of quiet. We didn't really know that much about them until it was almost done. But I remember uh, the guy that knows Long Trail came to the brewery. He was looking at it. I think Dixie Beer might have been looking at it at the time and a couple of other people um so yeah when when flying dog took it over at least we knew that the brewery was going to be in good hands and you know it's crazy to see that wild goose is coming back yeah it, it is and it, it's yeah it's strange but it's cool I, and i it, hope it works out especially because you know? it, like it's been so long that it, it's almost kind of weird to bring that brand back is it yeah it really it, is it, it i mean but they were such great beers um and I don't know who owns Wild Goose, but whoever does, I it, hope that they it's take someone the care. Or I think it's out in the, the eastern, eastern Shore. shore yeah, and they, I know they're brewing some beer at, at Oliver's, like the Snow Goose is coming out of okay. Oliver's. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love those beers. I love the Blue Ridge beers when I was there. Snowball's Chance is one of my favorite beers ever. Snow Goose was such a great beer. Subliminator. So we were making some really cool and great beers there. So I hope that they bring those beers back and they, they taste just as great. It's funny. There are hemp and ale stickers all over the place in Frederick still. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think, I think hemp and ale kind of was a boon to the brewery and then hurt the brewery in a lot of ways, because I think that was the beginning of the end, right? Hemp and ale got really popular. They threw a lot of money behind it. And then the TTB said, you can't advertise the fact that there's hemp in the beer. And so what do you do? Yes. You don't, there's no need to even make it anymore. And I think from there, it's kind of things started to go. Okay. Downhill. So they, they tried to, really hang their hat on that and then had the rug pulled out yeah from that, under that them. was before my time um and so then from what happened they wanted to sell the brewery the brewery got bought by this guy from colorado or not going to call from cleveland uh snyder was his last name and he wanted to turn it into a sam adams and there was a joke around the brewery at one point there was like 17 vice presidents you know working <laughs> there and he kind of just ran the brewery into the ground and then it uh went into receivership and that, that's about the time i showed up um so d did you go to school for education? I was an English major at Maryland. Uh, yeah. And my wife's an English teacher. Oh, cool. And that's where you met Adam. Yeah, me and Adam lived on the same floor. And uh, his sophomore year, his, no, my sophomore year, his freshman year. Cool. And um, so but when you were in school together, were you, were you just into drinking beer? Or I can't remember from talking to Adam, were you doing homebrew then? We were, so I hadn't started homebrewing yet. Um, we were just drinking whatever we could afford. You know, I remember you could go to number one liquors or town hall and they'd have the, you know, 1540s for 15 bucks. So we were doing a lot of that. And then I think around, once we'd moved off campus, um, so probably around 97 or whatever, we kind of changed our tastes and we're like, let's start drinking better beer. Um, and I think the beer that really got me into craft beer was, uh, 
Pete's uh, Wicked Winter Brew. Um, I loved that beer. And so we were just buying all these different six packs and trying stuff. Um, and I got a job at a liquor store, and they had homebrew kits there, and that's when okay. I started homebrew. Yeah, when I was in college, we were living large if we had a six-pack of Rolling Rock. Yeah, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, But I remember my one of our, our friends was like, you know, we should start drinking better beer. Like, we just drink this crap all the time. And if we save up our money, we can get better beer and have a better, probably a better experience. Yeah. So at that point, did you have any desire ideas of owning a brewery or was it just you were enjoying just enjoying drinking beer and then enjoying brewing beer um but from there i kind of learned that hey you can have a job you can be a brewer um and so that kind of caught my attention um and one of my friends in college his stepdad was one of the founders of fordham i remember he put me in touch with uh alan young who was with one of the original brewers at fordham used to brew at chess bay down in uh down in virginia and he wasn't in brewing at the time. I can't remember what he was doing at that time. I think he was working for AC Beverage. But I asked him all these questions, and he was like, yeah, you, know, you can definitely do this. It's definitely a career. And flash forward about five or six years later, he was my boss at Gordon Beers because he was a regional brewer for the company there. And is Gordon Beers where you went after? after so after Frederick, I came to Baltimore and brewed at Cap City okay. uh, for about a year. I caught wind that that Cap City was going to close. Um, and I called my good friend Jason Oliver, who was a regional brewer for Gordon Beers at the time. Now is the brewmaster of Devil's Backbone. And I said, hey, I need, I need a job, man. Can you help me out? And he's like, well, we got two Gordon Beers open. You were really good at shutting down breweries for <laughs> yeah, a little while. Yeah, right? <laughs> so he said, he said, we've got two places opening, one here in Rockville. I lived in Silver Spring at the time. I was like, oh, that's sweet. He's like, but I hired the guy for that yesterday. But if you're willing to move to Illinois, I can, sh- I can get you a job, the one outside of Chicago. Um, me and my wife didn't have any kids at the time. We had both been talking, like, let's move out of the area for a little bit. Um, so I was like, all right, let's do it. So There's we, definitely way worse places to yeah, have to move to. Yeah, and you know, that first winter was brutal, but uh, it was fun. We moved out there. I was out there for about three and a half years um, brewing there, and I came back here in about 2010, and the idea for Union had already been sparked by that time. Um, came back and then worked at the one in Rockville for about a year and a half, two years, I think. What size brew system did the Gordon Beers have? Um, so the one, my original Gordon Beers in Illinois had a 15 and the one here in Rockville had a 10. Right, so up until now, the largest system you've been on is the Frederick Brewing, Yeah, right? which was 50, yeah. And yeah. you're um, – so I guess it would be a good time. We could talk a little bit about the union's expansion coming up. Yeah, so quite we, a big expansion coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, so for the past five years, we've been in our location at 1700 uh, Union Ave, um, and we've kind of – grown in that space and really enjoyed it and the community's come out um but we knew we were getting too big for that spot we were gonna our production wouldn't be able to keep up so i'd say for probably the past two years we've looked at pretty much every abandoned warehouse across the city of baltimore um it was very important for us to stay in baltimore we didn't want to leave so we've been looking everywhere and trying to find a place um and we had looked at this building that we took we eventually bought before at the time they just wanted to rent it and we thought it was too big for what we needed to do. Um, so it kind of went in the back burner. And then as time came on, we were like, we really do, we love this neighborhood. We don't really want to leave this area. Let's go back and look at that building. And at that time, they were selling it. Um, but it was still, it was 140,000 square feet. What are we going to do if we don't need yeah. that kind of space? So um, we kind of sat back and uh, came up with this idea of like, let's turn this into like our, our tasting room has been great for us. People can come down. They can meet us. They can see what we do here, see what we're all about. Why can't we do that for other businesses? Um, and from that, the kind of the union collective was born. Let's talk to some other growing business owners that we know uh, that probably need more space, want you know more stuff to do, um, and see if they're interested in coming into the space with us. Um, so we bought this building, and we we're going to have all these great tenants in there. Uh, so far, I think the announcements: Baltimore Whiskey Company's coming in. They're going to love the. There. I love the videos that yeah. um, you guys have made. The the one you. You, John, it's John, right? Yeah. You, John, and Adam made with the Volkswagen bus. All the Yeah, that was fun. That's so Chris, who's like our director of brand experience uh, and general manager of our tap room, that's his van. Um, and so he drove us around all day and that was <laughs> a good time. And then the, did you guys make, did Baltimore Whiskey Company make the video themselves or did you guys make that with them? Because they, they also had their great video to yeah, announce that so they, they were had their guy they had a videographer there to do the video and we just had a little cameo at okay. the end. yeah i i found that one amusing um so do, do you see actually maybe and you you already have do you have um 
a, a barrel a large barrel program that you're already doing or do you do you plan on having collaborations with them well, essentially be neighbors and... you know what we hope so we right now we have we have done some stuff we've given them some beer that they've distilled kind of just a experimental kind of stuff um and we hope to yeah use their barrels um and use other kind of local wine and maryland spirit barrels um so our barrel program right now isn't huge it's probably 20 to 30 barrels um, but we hope to really grow that in our new space. Yeah, you'll, you'll definitely have the room for yeah, it. Yeah, no, definitely. So how much of that space will you be taking up yourselves? We're taking 50,000 square feet right, to start. So you're still yeah, quite still, a large. Yeah, we're right now at 15,000 square feet. So we're, you know, tripling, over tripling our, our size. Are you are you building out completely new or are you moving some equipment we'll, over? We'll take some tanks with us, uh, some of our 60-barrel tanks. So. Right now we have a 20-barrel brew house. Um, we just we were buying a 60-barrel uh, brew house for the new place. So we have some 60-barrel tanks. We'll take some of those, and then we'll get new 180-barrel tanks uh, to kind of supplement that as well. Cool. And um, you just got back from uh, G- GABF, Yeah, right? yeah. How was that? I've, was, I've never been there. I, I've both been told to avoid it with the plague and that I have to go some year. I think, I think everybody should go. Um, Go Thursday night if you can. That's the best. Sec- that's the best session. Um, and then I, I get both sides of that. I think any real beer lover should go and check it out. It's it's an amazing event. The first time you're there, we took our the guy uh, Mark that runs our canning line and went, and this is his first time ever going. And you could just see the amazement in his eyes as you walk <laughs> onto that floor. And I think that's a great feeling for anybody that loves like truly loves beer to go to that. It really is kind of just this wonderful experience when you first walk in. But the, after Thursday night. You know, and this is my this is my tenth year going. I'm kind of over it. Yeah, I don't need to go back till Sunday till Saturday night to pick up our stuff. Um, it's cool, but but for people that can go, I I'd say go any night you can get a ticket for. It sold out. I think they it took a bit a little bit longer this year. It took about four hours to sell out. So it's a popular event. It's a cool thing, and it's it, especially with the growth of breweries. It's really cool to see what everybody's doing and what trends are on the East Coast versus the West Coast versus the South. You know all that and. I would definitely say you should go at least one time. Did, have you guys ever won a medal? Yeah, we medaled there, you know, three months after we opened in 2012. Awesome. Our beer took a gold medal at the JBF. Um, and in 2014, uh, Old Pro took a silver there. Did that help a lot when, yeah. when you were first starting out, or did it really not? It was. I actually read an article yesterday about what's what does it mean to win a medal. I think it did help when we first started out to say, hey, we just won a gold medal. Like, yeah. We were this band, brand new brewery, and bam, here's this gold medal that we won. Um, you know, now I don't know if it helps or hurts or, or what it does in terms of marketing. I always want to win medals. It's a, it's a pride thing, and I think you're there. And, you know, I've got buddies that brew all across the country. And uh, this year it was funny. It seemed that every brewery that we've collabed with medaled oh, at nice. JABF. So it was Ocelot, Ale Song. Um, perennial, we're about to do a beer with them. Uh, they all medaled. Um, so, so I think if you want to medal, do a collab with us uh, next year. But, <laughs> but no, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a cool thing to win a medal, and and I want a medal every year when I go out, and I get pretty angry when we don't medal every year <laughs> for a little bit, and then I go out and have some beers and come. You're fine with it. Yeah, yeah. I would think that um, at this point, you're well established enough that people know you're making great beer. That. Winning a gold, while it's great to hang that up, it it doesn't have as much of a helping effect for yeah, I think a, a union at this point. Yeah, I think from a marketing effect, like, you know, 10% of the people that buy our beer care about that. Um, but it's it's a kind of a brewer's pride thing more than anything. And uh, John Burroughs wanted to know if when you were at Gordon and Beer, or at, yeah, at Gordon Beersh, were you were you able to make your own recipes, and if so, what were you most proud of? So the two beers that we brought to Union, the Alt beer was my recipe, um, and I medaled for that. Uh, was it three times when I was at Gordon Beers, or two times when I was at Gordon Beers, and I medaled for the Goza when I was at Gordon Beers, which is now Old Pro, uh, once for, uh, or actually twice for that I think. Um, so it 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 uh, we were allowed to make our own beers when I was there. But they had to be German-style beers, um, and it was a whole process. You had to write the recipe. You would send that to your boss. You would then send it to his boss, um, and they were they were pretty cool. You could pretty make pretty much make whatever you wanted as long as it was German. Now those guys can do whatever they want. You know, they could teabag a beer and send it out, and they're allowed to do that. But like we couldn't do any kind of cool stuff back then. 
not that brewing German beers isn't cool because I really have yeah, an appreciation would. for that. But now they're making IPAs and Belgian quads and all that. Well, if you want to stay relevant, you kind of – you have to in a way. I guess, but, you know – Although Hofbrauhaus still manages to – You know, and, like, we went to uh, Beerstadt Lagerhaus while we were out in Denver, and all they make are great German-style beers. So I think there's a, a market for that. I think with Gordon Beers, they – have this con- perception among, you know, beer geeks that there's kind of this corporate entity. But I think what people don't appreciate about Gordon Beers is that, like, if you look at where guys have gone after they've left Gordon Beers, there's so many world-cast brewers uh, that are former G- GB guys. Jason at Devil's Backbone, Chris Allman at Fatheads, uh, Dieter's out at Happen Harry's now. I mean, these guys are just... There's these great brewers, Eric Bean at Columbus Brewing Company in Columbus, Ohio. There's all these great brewers that have come through Gordon Beers, and it's a really great training program for brewers because they said when I was there, and it's changed a little bit, you had to make the five, five, these five beers, and they had to be the same, and you had to send your samples into a lab, and that's kind of how we bonus. So you repetitively brewed these beers, and you got to learn techniques and how to make consistent beer, and I think that's really helped in my career and I think in a lot of other people's careers. I'd take a real quick break to uh, thank Roast House Pub once again for supporting the Uncapped Podcast. And I'll tell you about a great event that they're having on October 19th, next Thursday. They're hosting one of four national Lagunitas uh, Customer Appreciation Day events. So they want to say thank you very much by offering drink specials on several beers that they'll have on tap or little something, little something extra. Sakatumi, Aunt Sally, I, and their IPA. There's a couple other ones that they may or may not have, so I won't list them yet because it's not guaranteed, but they are special beers that Lagunitas makes. So make sure you head on out to Roast House Pub next Thursday, and as always, check the Digital Pour app constantly to see what new things they have on uh, tap. And uh, Are we still allowed to like Lagunitas? I, I don't... You know, none of that really, <laughs> you know, I don't... I don't really mess with that kind of stuff. It's like, if you're making good beer, you're making good beer. That's the way I, like, so that I, that whole topic is one of those things that I, I struggle with. Where, like, if it's still good beer, I, who cares if it's a large company that makes it? The only place where I waver from that a little bit is, like, the the negative ass the monopolistic things that AB Bev does. But you never hear that about Heineken, so I guess we can still continue to love Lagunitas. Yeah, you know, and even <laughs> even with the AB at, as a entity, I don't like AB. I don't like what they do. But like I like I spent time in Chicago, so I know guys that work for Goose Island that still work for Goose Island, and I respect those guys. I think they're making great beer, and I and I don't I would never want their careers to be negatively impacted by not buying their beer and I, I don't know it's, it's such a it's such a hard topic to kind of weigh in on um because you know knowing people personally i feel for them but at the same time like you said abm bev does a lot of shady kind of monopolistic yeah. stuff that like we can't compete with and it does suck that like you know i don't know what devil's back when kegs are going for in the market but i know they're probably cheaper than our kegs now because ab owns them and to the average consumer they think oh well why is Union's beer so much more than Devil's yeah. Backbone? And they're both microbrews. And, you know, so then there's these layers of the onion that need to be peeled back. Yeah, because you can't purchase hops at the same yeah. quantity that AB and Bub does. Let alone purchase for, hops. They own a hop farm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, they controlled the South African hop market this year. So it's just, uh, it, it's definitely a tough thing. But I, I, I don't know. It'll all shake out in the end, yeah. And uh, so David Andrew said first he loves Union and that you're one of the favorite breweries in Maryland. Um, and he wants to know, do you think that the New England IPA style should be added as uh, as an official style that can for GABF and so, BJCP? So, you know, I don't deal what's with BJCP. You know, the, the Governor's Cup every year is kind of judged on that, or the Maryland Craft Beer Cup, they call it now is judged by BJCP standards, and I have my own opinion on that, that there's a kind of homebrew standard where professional brewers, why not use the same standards that every other professional or the major professional brewing uh, competitions are, are judged by, which is the BA style guide. Um, so anyways, but for, for uh, New England IPAs, yes, I think they should be an official category for a couple of reasons. Um, there was a great article in the, in the Westworld, which is like Denver City Paper last week, about why aren't Trillium and all these other, you know, hazy IPA makers at GABF? 
and all of them said if you look at the guidelines for what a double IPA or an IPA should be, our beers aren't going to win. It'd be thrown out. It would They're be horrible, thrown out. horrible example, yeah. bad beer. And so, and I get, and, and you know, the last year they asked to be added, the BA said no. I think that there's no way that the BA can say no again this year. It's it's a, it's the predominant preferred IPA style right now. Yeah, that's what everybody wants. Um, and I'm not saying it's better than any other style of IPA, but it's out there. So why not acknowledge it, and why not? add that as a category or at least as a subcategory of American IPA and American double IPA so that they can be judged and be thrown in there. You know, like Pace Magazine did that top double IPA list of, and I think, you know, eight of the 10 and all the top five were all hazy IPAs, New England style IPAs. Um, So why not acknowledge that and make it a style? And, you know, the BA last year said, we don't jump on trends and we're not trying to, you know, but it doesn't hurt to put it in there. You can always take it out if it, if the trend does die. But yeah. it doesn't look like it's going anywhere no, right now. It, it's only and building steam ex- exactly. as everyone decides to can make exactly. them because that's gonna, what consumers want. Yeah, and they want those. And, and I think the thing also that's cool about those beers is that for the most part, you've got to drink them pretty hyper-locally, right? People will trade cans back and forth. Yeah. But if you want it in your kind of fresh estate, you're going to that brewery or that brew pub, and you're drinking the beer, or you're buying the cans at that brewery. Um, and so it's it's leading to more people coming out to tap rooms, more people trying beer. Um, and it, it truly in, encompasses what local craft beer is supposed to be about. You're coming down, you're getting this fresh beer, you're drinking it ultra fresh, and you're kind of appreciating what your local brewery is putting out. Um, and so for all those reasons, I kind of feel like it, it should be judged and it should be an official you know, kind of category. And his second question was, uh, is there any th- one thing that you would like to see changed in the brewing industry other than political issues? Um, you know what I'd like to see changed? We we're just talking about hazy IPAs. It's like, I love the hype beers. We're releasing two, we're releasing two great IPA and hop, hop-centric beers uh, tomorrow. But at the same time, I think we make a beer like Foxy or we make a beer like Duckpin. Um, those beers, I wish that consumers would treat those beers with as much excitement as they would the one-offs and the special beers. Um, and so, like, I love to drink, you know, I'm going to love to drink this Dust Rings, I'm going to love to drink the Extra Extra we did with Gunda. But at the same time, I'm going to love to drink Foxy and drink Duck Pen. And I kind of feel like beers that you can find on the shelf um, in the kind of the beer geek community are kind of looked down upon. Yeah, which I, I find weird because they're, like, they may be different, but... They're they're phenomenal. Yeah, they're just as good, but in a different way. You know, and we're a production brewery. We we have to have flagships, and we have to kind of build our back on those flagships. And uh, we love to play around too. But at the same time, those beers, we work just as hard on that duck pen that we're brewing. You know, th- four times a week, as we do on the special one off that we're doing. They both mean the same to me. That's like my son or my daughter. Neither one of them is my favorite. I love them both. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that that's kind of what I would love to see change. It's kind of the the kind of looking down upon uh, a regular beer, shelfy. So, yeah. So, Ed, um, what you you had mentioned earlier about working at Gordon Beers, they like they had very uh, narrow marks to hit for for their beer. So, you became, I would say, an expert probably at consistency. Yeah, and being I, I, able you tried, to, you know, repeating processes and trying to do stuff the same all the time because you got your bonus came from hitting your numbers and it was also a pride thing because you would send all your beer into a lab and at the end of each quarter an email would go out it would show everybody in what percentage they were at and you wanted to be 80 or above you didn't want to be that guy that was down at 35 because you knew he might he wouldn't be on that email in two more quarters if that (laughs) that kept up yeah so that that something i've heard almost in increasing frequency too is that there's almost uh, some people feel like the breweries who are only doing one-offs all the time and aren't having be- beers that they repeat consistently that are the same, that they're, they may not be as skilled of brewers or do, do you feel that way? Or do you think it's, it's just a different type of skill? I think yeah, it is a different type of skill. Um, you know, people that are constantly making one-offs, you have to have a lot of creativity. Um, you still have to make good beer yeah. because if it's a one-off and it sucks, they're not coming back for the next one-off. So you still have to make good beer. So I don't think that I'm or, or any any brewer that brews a flagship all the time or does the same beer is any better than somebody that's doing one-offs. 
um, it's different business models and different markets and different different things to do. Um, it's all good to me. It's all it's all beer as long as you're making good quality, consistent beer. I don't care what you're doing. Yeah, that's kind of I I could see like if you are a old school brewer that's been around forever and like the whole thing was like consistency, consistency. Make sure it tastes exactly the same year to year that you would have that argument that if you can't do that you're not a good brewer but as you said on the same side like a large part of craft beer is the art of it. yes exactly and the making new and amazing things so like you may not like those brewers are doing one-offs they just may not even have the desire to repeat because they just want to move on to the next thing you know we always talk about what would we do differently if we had started now as opposed to five years ago? And I think at one point John said probably not have a flagship. And I mean, that's probably the way to go. If you want to be a taproom focused brewery, that's the way to do it, you know, is to always have different beers. Craft beer fans are very fickle. Yes. They always want to try the next thing. So it's not a smart, it's not a not, it's not a dumb thing to kind of do the one-offs all the time, no consistent flagships. But I will also say, I think you see with breweries like Ocelot, they said we're never going to do, we're never going to repeat a beer, but then they made some pretty damn good beers that and people want to drink again. Yeah. So they've made them again, you know. And uh, like I think going back to Lagunitas, where the owner of Lagunitas said they would never ever can yeah. their beer. Then there's the was the twelfth day of never or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna happen if it, if it makes sense to do it for your business, you're gonna do it. And uh, so actually, that part, it, it's a quote that I, I've. It's only, I heard it like a couple weeks ago, but I will probably repeat it forever because I love it so much and leads right into opening this because it was Rahul where he said that one of the reasons he wanted to start Gunda was because the beer he wants to be drinking hasn't been created yet. And I just thought like, I love that quote because I feel like it explains craft beer fans and brewers like both sides of the industry to a T. Yeah, no, it definitely does. It's uh. You want to keep crafting and making cool stuff, um, and we want people to to appreciate that and keep trying to drink our beers. Um, there's a DJ I listen to all the time, Giles Peterson, and he's always searching for the perfect beat. And I think craft beer fans are always searching for the perfect beer, you know. And uh, hopefully they find it at Union, but if they don't, um, they'll find it someplace else, you know. So different strokes for different folks. There's always going to be beers that people want to try and and make. Yeah, like this uh, extra extra is way too clear. So we use it's, it's funny because we find it, but we only used about half of our normal findings. We thought it would stay a little hazy. I'm sorry about that. And uh, it uh, we use a London ale yeast. We use everything that we would do, and it just it dropped out so bright. But I don't think it matters. I think the beer is still delicious. Um, use a little bit of lactose in this, a little bit of Idaho Seven. Um, I believe there's some Equinox in here. We triple dry hop this beer. Um, so it's got a, I think it's got a lot going on, and it's really really interesting beer, and I'm, I'm happy we were able to collaborate with Tim and Raul. It is really good. There's flavors coming from every angle with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really, you know, I had a, like I said, I had a nitro uh, yesterday, and the hops weren't popping as they are right now out of the can. But yeah, there's just so much flavor in this beer. It's like wave upon wave. Upon yeah, it wave is a flavor. very complex beer. Yeah. Yeah, I love those two guys. They were they were really fun to have on and talk to. Yeah, they're great guys. They're super smart guys. Um, and, you know, I, I say this all the time. There's nobody in the Maryland beer scene that I don't like. Um, but there's people that I really love. And those are, those are two guys. Tim Tim is just – I love sitting down and talking to Tim because he's just a really smart brewer. And I think he has such a great, great – him and Raul have such a great future in brewing. So you had mentioned um, the ultra – beer geek and their aversion to uh shelfies and so that, that would lead me into i often ask the what are your opinions on beer trading and like line life and do, do you want your beers to be traded and I mean, sent yeah. around or are yeah, you one definitely. of the brewers that like you're worried about how they're going to be treated once they're no, i think people know how to treat beer yeah. and i want i want people in other states to appreciate our beer and know about union and it's it's really an honor to me that somebody thinks our beer is cool enough to send to one of their friends as an in a trader as an extra. And I used to trade myself uh, back when I lived in Illinois. I traded a lot, got a lot of great beers that way. Um, so I have I have no problem with trading, and I have you know 
it's funny. People think I, there was another quote where I said, you know, standing in line for beer. Like it, it's about hype, but it was more about the hype. I mean, yeah. like I said with you about the selfies. Um, but if people want to stand in line for a beer, please stand in line for a beer and enjoy it. Um, I don't do it that much anymore, but I'm old now. I can't. I, can't, <laughs> I got to pee, you know, a couple of times. Yeah. I stand in line. But I most definitely went to Dark Lord Day. Um, I've been to Darkness Day uh, at Surly. So I've definitely stood in line for beer, stood in line at Benny's in Chicago for, for Black, you know, Black Friday, Goose Island releases. Um, so I definitely have done it, and I have no problem with it. And if somebody's going to come to Union or come to whatever brewery and line up, it means a lot to that brewery because those people are that interested in your yeah. beer that they want to be there and they want to make sure they get their hands on it. And, and that's cool to me, too. Yeah, I mean, you have people standing in line for five six hours yeah, for we, some of the you know some of those releases like other half you see where people are camping out and stuff and like it's pretty awesome if i was the owner of other half or even as the owner of union when people come in it's like it's really exciting that like man people are this into our beer it's really cool it um so you, you you've uh won medals you've opened and had a brewery popular enough that you need to do a massive expansion what is what's one thing that you would look as your next greatest accomplishment? What do, what do you strive for right now? I mean, in the brewing world, it's just we're about to be a completely different brewery. We're we're opening this huge place with a sixty barrel German made brewery. Um, we actually went up to Sly Fox yesterday because they have the exact same brewery that we're, we're brew house that we're buying. So it's fully automated, you know, computerized, all this. Oh, nice. And so my goal is just to let's keep making good beer. This system is going to help us make even better beer, but we need to master it. And it took probably two to three years to master what's happening on our system. And, and, to, and by mastering, I'm saying kind of learning how to use it because we're still every day tweaking it. Uh, Ryan, who's our lead brewer, uh, actually came from Flying Dog as well. He has, you know, combs that system to find ways to make it more efficient and to do cool stuff with it. Um, and so we're going to have to do the same thing with this Browcom when it comes in. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I want to make sure that Union 2.0 is even better and more fantastic than Union uh, the first Union was. So that's, that's my next goal is to make sure we can execute this perfectly and understand everything that's happening and the changes and make our beer taste the same and even better and, and that, that kind of stuff. So is that um... – are do you know? Are you familiar with the system Trogues has? Yeah, so Trogues is, has is a, it the same one? Trogues has a Browcon. There's just okay. bigger. Than, I think they might have a hundred barrels. Yeah, there's is huge. So yeah, we're getting a sixty barrel, but okay. it'll be very similar. To so that it's system. like you you load the the, the only the manual dosers. work you have to do is loading the well, yeah. actually just the hops really because yeah. the everything base malt and everything's all straight from the yeah we had um, David uh, from Gearhouse oh, okay and and he had worked at. Uh, flying dog also then he worked at trogues for a while and now he has his own place and he said he longs for the days of being able to push a button and yeah. <laughs> just brew the beer it's funny because when i was at, at frederick before it was flying dog all that stuff was broken so it was all pretty much manual <laughs> anyways but uh yeah it's, it's going to be exciting to kind of see how this whole system works and how the beer comes out and what we can do to make even better tasting beer than we're making now. So is it hard to do the one-off super creative things on that type of system or do you just kind of, is there like a manual mode you switch no, it into? I mean, Treehouse is buying the exact same brewery okay. that we're brewing, buying. So you you can do it. It's, uh, it's just going to be a learning process just like it is on this. We've, you know, we know how to straight up brew on it, but then we do all kinds of experimental techniques and try and do cool stuff. Um, with the, with our system now, and we'll figure that out with the new system. When um, oh, I completely lost what I was going to say. Oh, are you? Do you plan on having a pilot system, or are you just going to have the? Yeah, we'll have barrel? a smaller brewery somewhere, and I'm not sure that's going to be on the premises, or we'll do something else. We're trying to figure all that out right now, but we'd love to have a smaller system uh, to kind of play around with and do some you know cool mixed firm stuff and stuff like that. Sixty barrels at a time is a lot of beer. Um, it won't hinder our one-off production because pretty much every time we do a one-off now, it is about 60 barrels. Mm -hmm. But uh, we want to be able to do even kind of smaller, cool, interesting stuff. So will you uh, will you instantly expand your footprint of distribution, or is this really just going to allow you to catch up with your current demand as it is? It's going to allow us to catch up, and it's also going to allow us to grow. I think there's still a lot of beer for us to be sold in Maryland, D.C., and Northern Virginia, where we're at right now. 
Um, and we're kind of, you know, balls to the wall on that right now, pushing that beer out. So this will give us some breathing room, um, but it'll also let us to grow in the markets that we're in. And hopefully we'll grow, and I'm not sure – I'm not sure how big the three of us want the brewery to be. I think if we could sell our beer in you know, the mid-Atlantic region and that's it, we'd be very happy with that. Um, and so I think that means maybe we'll grow up 83 into Pennsylvania or we, we just have to figure it all out. Yeah. But but right now it's just about producing beer for our current markets and making sure we can satisfy all of that. That's a um, – people love to talk about there being a bubble or that the craft beer at some point has to stop growing. It – I, I don't think like there's going to be a crash or anything. There's probably going to be a shaking out of the l- lower quality. And, but I really think that you're probably going to be one of the last breweries to get to this size. I mean, there may be anomalies here and there, but it seems like the, the local pub version of a brewery is going to be where like the sweet spot going forward that unless you've already, unless you've already had a foothold, on the market and you're headed towards that trajectory that it'll be increasingly harder to get to your size. It it seems like, you know, with the amount of breweries that there are, it is going to be tough to get to a kind of a regional size. Um, I think that we'll do it. Um, We did 10,000 barrels last year. We're probably on track to about 14 this year. Um, And then, you know, as time flies, we will be set up, I think, from a jump to get to about 35,000 barrels at the new spot. Um, and so, yeah, I do. I, I agree with you, though, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see if Maryland lets that happen politically. Yeah. Um, but the Taproom Brewery is the future of brewing right now. Um, and not even the future. It, it is what yeah. it is right now, pretty much. And you'll instantly be able to sell a lot more through your Taproom because yeah. you already have very limited hours yeah. and space. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll probably increase both of those. Um, we still want to be a partner with kind of the bars and the restaurants yeah. in our area and not co- a competitor with them. Um, so we have to figure all that out. But, yeah, we'll be able to grow wheels, sell more beer. Um, and I just think that's kind of the future. It's, you know, it's, it's like local, you know, farm-to-table restaurants. Now, you know, people want to see where their food and their what they're putting into their bodies is coming from. Um, so why not come down to your local brewery and check out the tap room and see what's going on? meet me john or adam um and see our team and see what's happening there so i think that is where beer is at right now and where it's going to continue to go are you guys in the tap room often you know one of us tries to be there every saturday for tours um i think i'm I'm next saturday that's my daughter's birthday party this weekend but uh so one of us is always there and then uh we are, we're always hanging out we have events you're always going to see us hanging out yeah. i think that's one of the one of the biggest attractors to breweries is being able to meet the person who is behind the the product that you're drinking. No, and it's it's so, cool for us too. It's cool to get that instant feedback from the consumers, you know, like, hey, I love this beer or I didn't like this that much or whatever. It's cool to kind of just be there and see the people that are appreciating your, pro- your product. What's your favorite beer that you've brewed? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm a huge Bolt fan. The Bolt's about to go away for a little bit. Um, that's probably my favorite beer that we make year round. Uh, my favorite one-off is that's tough. That's the older pros are really great. Um, where we, we take old pro and barrel had, age it with fruit. And, I had, uh, older pro for the first time at the Baltimore beer festival. The oh, mang- cool. The mango older yeah. pro. Oh, that was so good. It's delicious. And I, I kind of, they've been on tap a bunch of times locally I never made an effort to go because I typically don't really like barrel-aged beers. Oh, okay. Um, but it was just 100% different than what I thought it was, and it was absolutely amazing. I love the time that spins in the barrel. The salt kind of softens. Um, it picks up, you know, hints of the barrel, the oakiness, um, and then you get these great fruit flavors. So, like, right now in the barrel, we have red raspberry in there. And I can't remember the other one that's in there. I think it's a darker fruit, but I can't. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, but they just they just pick up this these great fruit notes and the barrel and the wine characteristics, kind of all blend together, and it really makes for a delicious, delicious beer. So I love I love those beers a lot. They're really special. So you had said that um, Older Pro came from a recipe that you created when you were at Gordon Beers. So did was it created for? like to make and serve at Gordon Beers? Yeah, so I brewed that beer as a, just a Goza at, uh, at Gordon Beers. And then when we came to Union, um, 
we knew for our summer season we wanted to do something light. So I was like, let's do a goza. So uh, I busted that recipe out, tweaked it <coughs> for our processes at Union and brewed it there. So that's what I've always wondered. So when you left Gordon Beers, they don't, you know, I think, it, or is it just like, I think most brewers this. have this kind of thing in their head and most, cause we've recently encountered some weird stuff, but we, I personally would never take any Gordon Beers recipe and brew that beer. Uh-huh. But any beer that I came up with during okay. my time at Gordon Beers, I have no problem. So they don't have a policy, it. like even if you create no. it on. And so here's the thing the, with Gordon Beers. You do a recipe, you send that recipe in, and it's in a central data bank where any brewer and the company can see it. Um, I was always weird about that, so I would always change the recipe a little bit before I sent it <laughs> to, that, to that database. So the, the recipe for the all beer that's there is a little different. The recipe for the Goza that's there is a little bit different than what I do. Um, but I think all the guys, like Jason worked on his Baltic Porter time and time again at Gordon Beersh and translated that into Danzig at uh, Devil's Backbone. Um, his Vienna Lager, same thing. It's a recipe that he worked on a long time at Gordon Beersh and then brought to, um, to Devil's Backbone with him as well. So I think as long as you kind of are respectful and, you, and this is your beer, you know, then nobody has any problem with the brewing it. I would hate for one of my guys to go and say, let's brew Foxy Red IPA or let's brew an old pro and let's brew those beers at my new place that I'm opening. Um, and for the most part, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, are you guys doing any, uh, are, are you doing all kettle sours or do you, have you done any spontaneous fermentation? We haven't done any mixed firm right now. Um, we're in an old building with wood roofs and it just oh, that freaks would wreak me havoc. out. <laughs> yeah. It just freaks me out to have that kind of stuff in there. Um, at the new place or at the pilot place, if we have a pilot place, um, we'll kind of, we'll play around with that stuff there. Cause I think we're all itching to do it. Um, so yeah, we've just kettle soured and then tried to figure out ways to add complexity to those kettle sours. Have you, do you have experience anywhere doing that? No, we haven't, I've never done mixed firms. So it kind of came into vogue, you know, halfway through my career. And by then I was at Gordon Beers, which Which is not going to do. When I said I wanted to do a Goza, they were like, if you infect the brew with lacto, you will be fired. (laughs) Um, and so that's kind of how I started. I I think I was in 2009. Um, it was my first kettle sour. And so I'd talk to the guys at BSI Brewing Science Institute where we bought our yeast from. And they were the ones that tell me about kettle sour. And they're like, hey, try this technique. Uh, we did this for somebody else, and it worked. And, you know, so that's what we started doing there. Um, and people loved the beer, and so we brought it to Union. I, I would say that Old Pro is probably my favorite Union beer. It's such a great beer. And then especially so cool I love the tea times. Yeah. They're so good. You can do – and that's the thing about Old Pro is that, like, you, there's so much you can do with Old Pro. It plays so well with other stuff. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. We don't want to become, like, a one-note – all we do is old pro variants, um, but it is so. <laughs> but fun you probably to play with would that do beer. amazing just doing that. Yeah, though. it's it's really it is really fun to play with that beer. And Lynn, who is actually out of town, she was going to come here with me today. Um, she's kind of mastered adding the tea to tea time and playing with the fruit and all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of set her loose, and she does her experiments, figures out what we need to do, and then we can upscale those those batches of beer. So you you talked quite a bit about collaborations. Uh, what is one brewery or even one brewer that you would love to be able to do a collaboration with that you haven't yet? Um, I mean, I guess that Sierra would always be awesome. Bigfoot's probably my favorite beer. It'd be pretty cool to work with them. Um, we've done a couple of beers at Burley Oak. I always love brewing with Brian, so I'd love to do something with him again. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think who else. Hmm. That's a good question. We're doing one with Perennial with Phil Wymore, who I've known since we were both brewing out in Illinois, uh, this month, actually, next week. So that's one off the bucket list, and I'm really excited to be doing And then, wow, one more of those types of questions. What's your favorite non-union beer? Uh, probably Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot a lot. Um, it's such a great beer. It makes me think of, like, cold you know, cold days around a fire or whatever, and I just really love drinking it. Um, locally, um, I really dig – I'm trying to think what have I had recently that's really – Blowing my socks off. Um, what have I had recently that's been delicious? You know, I love you know I love Waverly. This what those guys are doing. Love what Diamondback's been doing. Monument City. Um, it's it's really great that we have such great breweries in the city that are all making really really great beer. Um, so it's it, it's always fun to pop up one of those beers and see what they're doing and, and try their stuff. Yeah, it was at uh, the. Baltimore Beer Festival, I was talking to Kevin Addicts, and it, it was, 
I find it amazing how much Maryland beer has elevated. Like you would go, it would at one point you'd go to these festivals and it'd be like maybe fifty percent of the beers you tried just were not good. And now you can go from brewery to brewery and you find very little beer that isn't good. Yeah, no, it's, it's really true, and it's 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 really awesome. And we're just at the kind of the baby stages of it. You know, if you look at Oregon or you know North Carolina or California, the beer scene there it's nowhere. We're nowhere near where that is yet. So the the fun's only to come. I think. Do you think it's um, the collaborative nature of brewing that that's helping with the the new breweries coming on and making such great beer right away, or is it just there are a lot of skilled people that are opening breweries? I think it's now? a it's a little bit of both. You know, there's a. I always say like I love to cook, but I'd never open a restaurant. You know, without training to be a chef, um, and I think brewing is kind of the same way. A home brewer can can most definitely go out and start a great professional brewery, but I would love to have the experience of working at a brewery before I did that to kind of, cause there's a lot of dumb stuff that happens in breweries that like, you, <laughs> I didn't see that when I was brewing five gallons at a time. Um, so it's good to have that training. And I think that being said, there's so much more education out there. There's so much more, there's great books on any, anything about beer you want to read about. You can find a book about it. People want to come on podcasts like this and talk about their techniques and what they're doing. So I think there's a lot more knowledge out there and it's being absorbed by a lot more people that are in turn making good beer. Yeah. That's, um, and I, I love one of the things I love about the craft beer industry is the is like you guys com- are competitors, but you're still like all one team. It's yeah. the weirdest industry in the world. It really is weird <laughs> in that way because we are all trying to compete for tap handles and for customers' hearts and all that. But at the same time, we're all friends. When it comes down to it, we're all a bunch of, of guys that fell on guys and girls that fell in love with beer and want to. That's how we want to live our lives is through beer, making our money through beer. Um, and so it's kind of a shared passion between all of us. So, yeah, do I want Diamondback, you know, at this bar over my beer? No. But at the same time, you want them I, I there. want them next to me yeah. on the tap line. You know, like I want those guys there. I want Monument City there or Brewer's Art or Heavy Seas because it's all just great people. Beer, there's an asshole in beer. I, I haven't met them yet. Um, they're all really great people. So if um, someone from AB and Bev came to you tomorrow with a check with a whole bunch of zeros on it, what would your response be? So this is a debate we have at the brewery all the time. You know, part of me would be like, yeah, I'm going to the bank. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. It would have to take a lot of guarantees that our employees would be taken care of. Um, I don't know. It's it's such a – I can theoretically say that, no, I would never take that money. But, like, it – I don't know, man. They came up to me as enough money. How do you say no? Yeah. Like, uh, a Especially buddy, a completely life-changing amount. Yeah, a buddy of mine from college just sold his his tech company. And one of the quotes in the article about it from the company that was buying it said, you know, Josh has set his family up for generations to come. And that was I was like, whoa, you know, yeah. what'd you sell it for? <laughs> um, but to say that you've set your family up for generations to come, that's a tough thing to say no to. And I think, you know, there's a lot of purists that will say, oh, I'd never do that. And I, nobody gets in beer to make money, right? But if you started a computer company or you started a shoe company and Nike bought your shoe company, we'd celebrate you for that. Yeah, right? no one faults you yeah, for... Yeah, but if you sell your craft brew, craft brew is a lot like... Uh, I grew up as a kid, listened to a lot of like DC hardcore. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, you're the sellout band Yeah, you're the sellout band, band if you sell it. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Nobody's come to us with that yet, but I'll always listen if you want to talk. <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't know what I would do in that situation. It's really tough to say. It, the... Um... Uh, once again, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, it, it it is weird how that, like a craft brewery, they sell, no matter who they sell out to, is instantly criticized. Like even with Constellation Brands, where it's really just like a, I, I get a corporate entity purely just buying craft beer, is it correct? Yeah. So th- like they're still criticized, but any other industry, the little guy... So, or in any other industry, a ton of companies start purely just with the goal to be purchased. Well, I think the thing is, is that craft beer sold its message too well. 
that we're uh, anti-big yeah. business, we're independent, we're we're fighting against these big breweries. And then the big breweries came with big checks, and a lot of people were like, well, Okay, we don't need to fight yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, here you go. And, like, so it's weird. It's a weird topic. I don't know if you saw that video that AB made in response to when the independent seal came out and they got all their high-end oh, guys yeah. together. They were at a, Supposedly what happened was they were all in a meeting together. The BA released a statement about the independent seal. They had been drinking some beers at this meeting and decided to make this response video. Um, I have a friend that works for uh, ABM Bev, and when I talked to him about it a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, I think now pretty much everyone's acknowledged that was a mistake <laughs> and they shouldn't yeah. have done it. And they came off looking like such douchebags, you know, because they were making fun of the independence when like yeah. two years ago you were the guy celebrating, were, celebrating it and so, holding your middle finger yeah, up to ABM. Yeah, so it's really weird to kind of to see it. But at the same time, how can I fault those guys if they're taking care of their families? And those commas you know, and like, zeros yeah. make a so it's, a really, big it's really tough because you. I always think about people that are typing these nasty comments about breweries selling out or typing on their Apple computers <laughs> or their HP while they're wearing their Nikes or their Ralph Lauren, you know, these big corporations. And uh, so it's, it's a weird juxtaposition. But like I said, I think craft beer sold its message way too well. And now you're paying for it because people truly believed in your independence and your little guy spirit, you know? Did you follow um, Jim Crusoe and... Leave and Flying Dog leaving the Brewers Association at all? I was at Saver and talked to Ben Savage the night, and they were really upset about, you know, Raging Bitch couldn't be called Raging Bitch at Saver. And I don't know if that was the last straw or the first straw, but I remember I talked to Ben Savage that night, and he was really upset about it. And it's it's tough for me. I get it. Yeah. I get why they're pissed. I get the Brewers Association's position in a way um, should beer have offensive names and, you know, and then, but what constitutes offensive, right? I'm a big ACLU guy. Like, right, if the Klan wanted to protest tomorrow, I would support their right to protest. And for anybody that's not looking at this, I'm a black guy. Yeah, I was I just going to say that. Yeah. Some people may be uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. listening only, so you may want to clarify. Yeah, so I would support <laughs> well, their right. Well, of course that white brewer with <laughs> is okay with. <laughs> so I would I would fully support their right to march, and I have no problem with it. And I have no problem with Flying Dog if they want to call their beer Raging Bitch or Raging N-Word, whatever. I'm not going to buy it, but yeah. do, it, do what you want to do, right? But at the same time, I also respect the right of the Brewers Association to say, hey, we're trying to make this we're trying to make beer as inclusive as possible. I'm on the Brewers Association Diversity Committee. And I think one of the things that they're starting to realize and something I've been saying for years is that like, hey, craft beer for a long time has been mostly male, mostly white, mostly hyper affluent people, right? Craft beer costs a little bit more money. There's not much advertising in craft beer. It's kind of a word of mouth thing. And so it goes from the breweries and the brewers who are mostly white to their friends to their, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I think if craft beer wants to continue to grow and they're starting to see a slight stunt in the market, if you want to continue to grow, we've got to hit some of these non-traditional markets that we've never tapped into before. And that comes with reaching out to Hispanic people, to black people, to women, to Latinos, to Asians, all kinds of people. You know, I was at JBF last week and there was a lot more black faces that were there than I was there 10 years ago. But it's still, you know, some specks of pepper in a jar of salt, right? So never heard we, that phrase. So, <laughs> so if we can expand that and get more people into beer, more people loving beer, we can sell more beer, right? And so I think the Brewers Association's point is to say we want to make our industry as welcoming to anybody as possible. And at that at this time, I think most of the double entendres in craft beer fall on women. More than anything, yeah, there's a definitely. lot of you know, and, and there's raging, a lot of misogyny. Yeah, and, and I'm not calling fine dog misogynist yeah, in that, the least I mean, because I, the raging bitch kind of comes from their dog image, yeah. and you know, it fits well. It's yeah, not it like does. Some um, of the breweries that are just straight up, every beer is named some. Yeah, sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, and so I get, I get flying dog, and they flying dog fought Michigan over it to get it, you know, and like yeah, it's one of those things that gets you can completely for them with their history and Jim's fervent defense of the first amendment which this wasn't an issue related to that at all but also just freedom of thought and speech and yeah. no censorship from any angle so like i won't i won't support your products if i think they're racist or sexist or bigoted but let, let's let the you know and, and and so let's let the market decide i guess on that kind of stuff but at the same time, I get the Brewers Association. But the Brewers Association now is, is regulating speech. And so it's kind of a 
it's such a slippery slope, and I, I hate that term, slippery slope. But yeah. it, it really, for beer, I don't know how you decide that Raging Bitch isn't good, but, you know, and I can't think of another brewery example right now, is fine. And when does it come to artwork now? If your artwork on your can has a sexy pinup girl on it, you shouldn't need that on your beer to sell your beer, but it shouldn't, I don't, I don't it's such a tough yeah, thing. It's, so it's Flying wonder- Dog has done what they've done. The Brew yeah. Station has done what they've done. And I wish them all the best of luck. I love the guys at Flying Dog. Um, ben Savage is a, is a great guy. Um, they're, all, they're all good guys up there. Yeah. And so I, I wish them much success, and I hope that both organizations kind of find peace or whatever, you know? Like. So as, as being on the diversity committee, I think you're the perfect person to have, like, this conversation with. Do you, do you feel that, that the lack of diversity is a problem in that – um, craft beer is exclusionary or because you kind of alluded it's just more of exposure you know, to I don't think it's exclusionary right like here let me give you an example when I was walking back here with you through the newsroom out there I was looking around I was like wow this is a pretty white newsroom I saw one black face now maybe there's more black reporters around I don't know and I'm not condemning you guys or anything like that but it seems to me that like if you have a more diverse workforce here more issues get covered more perspectives are seen and i think that can be the same thing for craft beer if there's more a more diverse staff team brewers people drinking beer more diverse people at the brewers association different viewpoints and different things are thought about um i'll give you here i'll give an example of the brewers association two years ago they put out i can't remember what the report was but it was some sort of you know summary report and every person in there was white. There was not one person of color. And I started to tweet about it, and I got no responses from the BA. I kept tweeted, tweeted, tweeted. Yeah. But at CBC that year, a guy came up to me that worked at the BA and said, hey, man, we, we're not allowed to respond, and we don't respond to stuff like that, but we saw your tweets. And from there came this diversity committee a, a year later. Um, so I think that they're starting to think about it, and it can only be good for our industry to have more people involved in the industry, right? There's all – there's – it's, it's always weird when you talk about race and craft beer um, because I, I think craft beer is such a progressive group of people until you start talking about that. And so, like, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, and this guy actually watched one of James Beard Award, Thrillist published an article about why aren't there that many black people in craft beer. And I remember going on Beer Advocate that day, and the discussion was so weird. It was like people were personally offended that someone was asking that question. You know, it was like, well, who does, why does it matter? And well, I know, somebody even said, I know Kevin Blodger, he's a good guy, you know, and (laughs) people were lifting off the black people they knew in craft beer, but totally missing the point that like, yeah, you know, I have a a black friend, I know somebody, but that doesn't mean that those people aren't in, there couldn't, there shouldn't be more people in the industry. And it's, it becomes kind of, people get offended when you start to talk about race and what they're into and why isn't there more of this or more of that because they feel like it's an attack upon them. And I don't think any, I'm not calling craft beer racist or exclusionary. I'm saying that it's, it is what it is right now, but let's make it even better. Right. So by bringing more people into the fold. But so do you, so it not being exclusionary, do you think that the lack of diversity is just to this point it not being an attractive option or I think not it's being, being presented? It's or, being as it's an oversight, right? So like like I said, like if you're into most things, tech stuff or computers or skateboarding or you know these kind of niche markets, let's say. There's magazines and there's advertising and there's all this. Until very recently, I'd say five to ten years ago, there wasn't that many craft beer magazines. There wasn't much advertising. There still isn't much paid advertising by smaller craft breweries, right? So the only way that craft beer kind of gets out there is word of mouth. Would you like to advertise in a craft beer magazine? (laughs) I can Uh, put you in touch with. I can give you some beer. (laughs) Um, But uh, so we kind of look at stuff and, and you look at it and you say, all right, well, I'm talking to this buddy and to that buddy, and, and that's how you kind of learn about stuff from your friends. And so America on a whole is, you know, pretty pretty segregated. And, you know, most Yeah, you, you stay in your bubble. Kind of, and, and who's around you, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where it's come from, I think. It's like people people haven't thought about expanding it because they haven't needed to. And craft beer has grown, 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 grown so fast just through this kind of word of mouth and yeah. social media and everything. So now I think there needs to be a more organized push to bring more people into the fold. Yeah, it makes sense. But, like, you've never felt excluded or no. not part of the 
No, the only like, time I've, I've ever had something weird, so there twice. Once I was at a beer festival and I was working at Cap City and a woman asked me if I was Garrett Oliver's son, um, which was just kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then another time, and this and, and this was actually a black guy that said it to me. I was, it got introduced to somebody who was like, well, I hope you don't make any malt liquor. And then like, he oh, came to me later and was like, that was really dumb of me to say, you know, da, 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 da. But those are the only two times I've ever had anything kind of weird said to me. There's a lot of weird assumptions where people come in the brewery and don't think I'm the brewmaster or the owner there or yeah. anything. But, you know, it's, it is what it is. Cool. Well, um, Graham has repeatedly told me I need to wrap up over and over again through hand motions, text messages, Look, and hands. Hands. <laughs> it smoke singles probably if he had something to light on fire. So um, I think we have to wrap it up. All right. Perfect. And so um, I would love to continue our conversation, but uh, once again, Graham's a buzzkill. <laughs> thank you so much for coming out I, it's been a pleasure and everyone that told me i needed to have you on was absolutely correct well i'm glad i could be on it's been cool to be on here and uh th- thank you everyone for listening right. cheers have a good one guys the uncapped podcast is produced by graham cullen and me chris sands be sure to like us on facebook and if you've enjoyed these podcasts please leave us a review on google play or the itunes store A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.